Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA's Speaking of Precision Monday with Miles. Carly Kistler-Miller has joined me today, and we are going to talk about what to look for when you need a heat treater. Thanks, Miles. I am looking at this very long list of what to look for, so let's start with accreditation. Yes, you need to find out if the heat treater is accredited, and if they are, is the accreditation uh, legitimate per the Fastener Quality Act? Find out if their lab is accredited to the A2LA or to NADCAP. Heat treat is critical. Satellites remain in orbit because the parts were heat treated correctly. Submarines are able to do what they do because of legitimate heat treatment. Weapon systems for warfighters all rely on the material to be proper mechanical properties, and that's why heat treat accreditation is so important. Holy smokes, I actually didn't realize just how important that was. Okay, so accreditation, definitely top of the list. What about standards? The next thing that I would ask is, are they ISO, TS, or QS registered, or are there any other systems or standards that apply? It's also important to see if they have a quality manual and take a look at it. How does it compare to the quality manual of your company? Contract review is critical. What if your spec says that the test is to be done and measured in two diameters, but their practice in standard is to measure in two inches. Would their contract review catch that? This is a good time to look at how they manage their, what I call intellectual resources. Do they have up-to-date copies of standards that are applicable on hand and are they available? I'm looking at this list and I also see you should check to see if they have adequate procedures documented for lot control and maintaining identification and to look for evidence of outside training for key personnel. Lot control is really the bedrock of our manufacturing. We absolutely must ensure that the material that we're working with is what it's supposed to be, that it is what it says it is. Also, it's a good practice to check to see if they can verify or validate chemistry in-house or do they have to send that out, meaning that they can only look at heat treat structure, hardness, or mechanical properties in their lab. Having that extra ability to verify chemistry is really uh, a value add. Also, what's their typical turnaround time? Is that compatible with what you expect, with what you need? Do they have a charge for expediting? And is it likely that you would need to pay that charge because you would need to expedite. You know your customer's demands, but you really need to apply that knowledge to what you can find out about this lab's or heat treater's ability to turn around results. These are all great questions. So what about calibration and technology? Evidence of up-to-date calibration on quality control instruments is It really goes without saying. In 2003, PMPA took a number of our members over to China 
for a study mission. And it was interesting to me that I couldn't read a, anything in Chinese, but after the second or third quality lab, I knew what the Chinese characters were for quality, and I knew what a calibration uh, sticker looked like and what it would have on it. I mean, it's truly universal need for calibration so that we can have confidence in the measurements that we're taking. That makes total sense. And you even taught me that symbol. <laughs> I did. It's, it's really pretty interesting. It's uh, three boxes stacked up, one, one box over two, and it really is the Chinese word for savor, and its history is that after three mouths tasted the food, it was safe for the emperor to eat, and the emperor could savor it. Well, in heat treat, we need to be sure that the furnaces are accurate, the temperatures are accurate, because we try and do some rather precise temperature uh, points. So is plus or minus 50 degrees typical at this shop? How about half that, 25? If this is a really sticky aerospace or nuclear, you may need even tighter temperature control than that. So that's an important area. Also, in the process, they use quenchants. Do they check quenchants? Quenchants can be contaminated. I worked in a shop back when I wore a younger man's clothes, and we had a leaky roof, and water got into the oil quench tank. And all of a sudden, we started getting some really crazy results on some hardening tests we were running for a major automotive company. Wow. How long did it take you to figure that out? It took us quite a while because we were getting, the steel was supposed to harden to like 45 or 48, and we're getting some in the like 58 to 60, and there's no way it should do that in oil. Oh, hmm. Guess what? The oil floats on the water. <laughs> <laughs> it was difficult, but we got a sample from the bottom over a weekend and we were able to show there was water in our oil. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you figured that out. The other area is once we've quenched the, the product, we need to temper those parts immediately. Untempered martensite is more brittle than a mother-in-law's attitude on a bad Saturday. You really, you can't I'm a mother-in-law. Be careful. Well, you, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Untempered martensite is brittle, and it's looking for an excuse to crack. So it's really important that they have a procedure. If that stuff comes out of the quench, it needs to get into temper ASAP. It shouldn't be waiting across a shift change. It must not wait overnight for the next crew to put it in. That tempering process is disciplined. It's got to be consistent. Okay. So, have we heard everything we need to hear? That's some really detailed operational issues. Is there an easier way to put it? Well, you know, I'm always looking for that, that one thing, right? That, that one number that tells the tale, the, the magic indicator. If you could only have one number. Oh, yes, I know it well. What's your one number to evaluate the heat treater? Well, if you could only have one number... I would ask to see their OSHA 300 information. It's posted 
Basically, the OSHA 300 information is going to tell me about their safety record. If they're a safe shop, they're taking care of their performers. If they're taking care of their performers, I'm pretty sure those performers aren't going to be distracted by existential issues, and they'll be taking care of my parts. I mean, that's just, wow. Basically, wow. Well, that's exactly right. So whatever you're doing, whether it's a car repair mechanic, whether it's, you know, a heat treater, whether it's the shop where you work, if they're not a safe shop, why would you want to do business with them? Why would you want to put yourself at risk, your customers at risk, those warfighters at risk, those men in that submarine at risk? I had a half an hour yesterday with no cell phone coverage. Imagine if that was a satellite that went out for our G GPS, right? And so nobody could navigate. That's all because of a heat treat. Some part on that satellite was heat treated in a safe shop. Uh-huh, ripple effect is, is big. So we're both strongly focused on communications. What is different about communications when a heat treater is the counterparty? That, that's really a good question, Carly. Communications starts with contract review. And uh, Omar Nashashibi, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to try a baseball analogy in your honor. Um, do they catch the requirements that we pitch to them? You know, do they send a detailed acknowledgement? Is it in writing? Or do you get a call from some guy named Mo that says, yeah, we can do it? That acknowledgement really ought to include details about how they're going to sample it, the steps they'll take to certify conformance to the requirements asked, and how did they um, warrant or certify the product uh, conformance. You should know all that, you know, before, before you send those parts that you've invested your time, material, and talent in uh, to them to thermally treat. So warranting the performance of the heat treat is important, and that's not necessarily caught in contract review, but it's, it's important. Do they have an adequate sampling plan? Does the sampling plan, is it consistent with the way you're providing work? If they're doing it every 100 parts, but you're sending them a tote of 500 or 1,000, you know, does the sampling plan make more sense to do it once per tote? You don't want to overpay for oversampling. At the same time, you want the sampling plan to respect uh, the way the work's provided. And you need to go back to, I, I think we mentioned earlier, do they have up-to-date standards available? You know, for, are you heat treating to a particular standard or specification? If they don't have an up-to-date copy, uh, how do you know that the heat treatment meets, meets that spec? So it's pretty important that uh, you check while you're, while you're there, check that they have up-to-date copies of the standards or specifications that are required. And sometimes that falls on us to provide that if it's, in fact, a customer spec. Those are really important points. I mean, how do you know what you know? How good is their reporting? That, that's really the... The important question for all of us humans, Carly, <laughs> how do we know what we know? What do we have to back it up? This transcends this issue we're talking about, about heat treat. Okay, I've been with you on several shop visits. So why don't you share with their listeners your real live experiential 
indicator. I think you named it for your daughters. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my daughter's indicator. How long have you been working with me? It's it's uh, that's really a an insightful question. See, I'm listening. Y you are. <laughs> my uh, my daughter's indicator. Uh, let's make sure we file for a trademark protection on that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, is applied anytime I go out of the office and, and visit any premises. Basically, I integrate all my sensory inputs, all my senses about the premises, and I integrate that into an impression about the, the shop, the, the workplace, whether it's a heat treat, a manufacturing operation, a restaurant, anything. Do the premises look workmanlike and professional? Are they visually appealing? Are they well lit? Are there any terrible odors that suggest a lack of attention to maintaining fluids integrity in the machines? Is there a lot of clutter or FOD, what we call FOD, foreign object debris laying around? Is it well organized? Basically, I integrate all these signals into an impression, and that impression answers this question. If one of my daughters told me that that company had hired them and they got a job and would be working there, would I be happy for them and would I be happy for the employer? That's my daughter's indicator. Careful, Miles, your humanity is showing. Any other humanity type issues? You know, that's, that's interesting too. Humans are social critters. So it's important to find out if they're active in other professional organizations. It shows that they're actually interested in finding out best practices from other heat treaters, other machine shops. You know, uh, PMPA is kind of evidence that we can all be better together. Why wouldn't we ask our heat treaters to also show that better together motivation with their professional memberships? Are they active on LinkedIn? Are they sharing their knowledge? Are they raising awareness? of their craft. Well, I'm an MBA and I have an MBA insight I think you admitted. Teach it, Carly. Teach it. Let's hear your MBA insight. Okay, here it comes. Is pricing within expected range? Too low pricing is suspicious. And take careful look at the pricing and if it's too far off of your other quotes or experience, try to figure out why. As business professionals, we all like low prices. But as wise humans, we need to intelligently manage risk, and too low of a price is a window into risk. Or it's a door into a winter of financial discontent. <laughs> That's Serious, a great image. Seriously, there, there can be a reason why someone is unexpectedly low. This last disruption with COVID, uh, there are reasons why people would, would take a business below what you would expect so that they could keep their performers employed. So it's not necessarily a flag to wave you off, but it's certainly worth investigating to be sure what you're getting into. Sure, find out why. And that wraps up today's discussion about what to look for when considering a heat treater. Thank you for joining us. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org a newly renovated, redesigned, and decorated, high-functioning, glamorous website, pmpa.org. Check it out. Ooh, 
I'm going to steal that. That's a great tagline. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you for joining us. Please rate and review the podcast. And if you want to make your life a little easier, you can subscribe to our podcast so you never miss one. Speaking of making your life easier, if you aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to see all we have to offer. And why is a PMPA membership important, Carly? Because we are better together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles. <laughs>